And that's why our curation selection committee includes the other members of the team. Why? Because they are also motivated to join a TEDx organization because of the ideas because they've been watching TED for years, because they see what's amazing in our city. And just because they're in logistics doesn't mean they don't have a say in the heartbeat of what our organization does. And I think that that, having those healthy debates is part of the payment system that our team is motivated. So it's not cash we pay ourselves, but we pay ourselves in this ability to have these incredibly powerful conversations. Hey TEDxers, welcome to another episode of Solving for X. This is Jay Hirati, and today I'll be talking to Katie Yam. She's the organizer of TEDx Montreal in Canada. That event has been going strong for quite a few years. Katie has joined and has been leading the event since 2015. And today we are talking to Katie about their process for selecting speakers for their stage. They have a very, I would say, thoughtful, methodical, and somewhat elaborate process for identifying ideas from their city and deciding which one of them is worth putting on their TEDx Montreal stage. Let's dive right in. Katie, welcome to Solving for X. Thank you so much, Jay. It's a pleasure to be here. Good. It's good to see you. And we started this conversation on the topic of your curation process back at TED Fest 2018. Uh, it, I was so impressed and it sounded so interesting that we wanted to talk about that again here today. But before we get started, um, I'd like you to tell us a little bit about TEDx Montreal. Maybe for those of us who have never been there, believe it or not, I've never been to Montreal, which I'm really embarrassed to say because I've been to so many places that are way further from New York than Montreal, but I've never been there. So tell us about your city and then maybe describe TEDx Montreal and the community and your role within that community. Sure. Uh, I think TEDx Montreal, um, it's been uh, something I've been part of since 2013. So it's been uh, many years and I took over the license in, in 2015 as as you know, and I think uh, there's just something about the city, the effervescence of it. Uh, so we're a big, uh, we're an island, and uh, four universities in the center. So that with McGill and Concordia, UDM, and also University of Montreal. So it's a really effervescent, lots of ideas circulating, and it's also a research uh, entity as well. And uh, TEDx Montreal, what's amazing about it is our number one is uh, elevating ideas from Montreal. So we don't curate outside of our city because there is so much happening. Uh, and uh, we're really, really proud as a team to elevate the Montreal-born ideas onto uh, a global stage such as TEDx. Yeah, that's beautiful. And is your event bilingual? Yes. So actually, one of the criteria on our curation is to make sure that it's 50-50. So what we try to do is uh, pretty much if uh, many people at the end of the event complained to me that there was too much English and also enough English people complained to me that there was too much uh, French, we know that we've run a, a very uh, dual lingual event. So we're going to talk about curation today. Give me a sense between your main event and your salons, like how many speakers do you talk to each year in total before we dive into the process? Um, we oscillate between 9 to 15 speakers on our main event, and we do 2 to 3 speakers for each salon. 
So last year we ran four salons, three salons, and then uh, and our main event, uh, we just did nine this year and I think 12 or 14 the, the years prior. Right. So somewhere between 20 and 25. Okay, that, that was helpful for perspective. All right, so Katie, let's jump in and talk about your curation process, which I know is uh, is well thought through, has developed over time. It's quite intricate. And I hope we can kind of lay out uh, the format sure. of it in a clear way. I think ideas essentially need to come from individuals who are tapped into the different areas uh, where the ideas spring from. So, you know, we're very much about a diverse team. If we want diverse ideas on stage, the team has to be extremely diverse. So that's where the origin of it starts. And so what we do is that instead of, you know, a bunch of what I call marketing folks sitting there and be like, hey, what's happening over there? It's really interesting. Uh, we actually have make sure that we have uh, really curious people. So curious and curiosity and wonder, I think, or the, the number one and two uh, kind of criteria for our curators. And so we have people, um, let's say, as a dance researcher. We also have a professor of, of political science. We actually have, you know, an engineer in HVAC. Uh, we have people in AI like myself. We have um, just a plethora of our artists, researchers, etc. part of our team because if they have the curiosity and the wonder, they're going to find those sparks of ideas before there's something and then bring them to the team. So it sounds like with intention, with the assumption that if you truly want to diversify your ideas and reach into different places, you also want to diversify and broaden your curation team, right? And with intention, you have built what sounds like a pretty expansive curation team, a lot more than a typical TEDx team. How many people in total do you have today on your team who are involved with curation? So we actually have different layers. So we actually have uh, the core team, and then we actually have what we call a selection committee. And uh, the selection committee is part of the voting process, and I'll get into it in a second. But I would say anywhere between uh, six to 15 is part of the curation team. And one of the things we talk about is how we build the team, and the interviews are really I remember one, one member of our team, Francois, told me that uh, you know, interviewing for the creation team was harder than actually getting a, a real job. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, you really need to screen with you when you get volunteers, you know, that's the way it goes. So why, why don't you tell us about this? So let's, let's start by talking about your curation team. What's the process of building that team? So initially, we, we are very clear as to what each of our areas of expertise are. And then we, we identify what's missing. So what's missing in our arc, uh, in our full kind of content view? And then we're trying to look for people to balance that out. So when we do the interviews, uh, we do them as a team. So that's really, really important because uh, it's not like two or three people. As a curation team, we interview. So it's a little intimidating sometimes. You know, there's eight people and we've got people <laughs> from other cities. So we're, we're interviewing with, a, with an arc of eight people, trying to understand what's driving the, that, that person's curiosity, what are they after, what makes them spark. And then it's a vote by all of us because the question is, A, if we don't make sure that we're balanced, uh, then that's a problem and it's not one or two of us that can make that decision. I also want all of the team to buy into that person because it's a, it's a heavy lift. So if we're all committed to that, uh, bringing that person up to speed, it's really important. And the other most important part is the question we ask ourselves. So in our selection committee, how ideas get voted onto our stage is we do a blind vote, and I'll get into the process after, but that vote, 85% and up, 
it's a blind vote. I have a vote. Everyone around the table has a vote. And even though I'm the license holder, it's just one vote on my side. And 85% and up gets you into on the stage because it should be diverse. The thing is, um, because our voting is important, the number one question we ask ourselves when we hire someone is, do we believe this person's perspective is something we are willing to bring in and dilute our own vote for? Right. And that's and the number one decision maker for us. Yeah. Another way, uh, I think another way of saying this is, I'm inviting this person here and from the day one, they're going to have exactly the same voice and exactly the same influence on decision as each one of us individually. Right. So it's exactly. not like a hierarchical organization where you can say, yeah, sure, come on in. But, you know, we'll listen to your ideas, but you won't start really influencing till you've been here. Wow. But it sounds like in your curation team, equal member, equal vote from day one. And so yeah. you're, you're very selective about bringing people in. How do you get people to apply to the curation committee? Do you have existing members nominate them? Can people apply on a website? Do you go out and like hunt them down? Uh, I would say all three. Uh, so we do have applications on our website, and I think some of our best team members, uh, you know, our website applications. Another ones that have come in through um, day of volunteers as well is a good place to start. But our form is really extensive. If you went onto our website and you look at our application form, uh, it's quite long, <laughs> and it's purposeful. And I think our number one thing is, you know, if the form is too long, when the shit hits the fan and we really need you on the, like, where are you going to be? Because you didn't even want to fill a form. Right. So, <laughs> so I think you don't even know, you don't know what's about to hit you on it when it comes to organizing a TEDx event. So. And curation is even more, it needs that dedication. We're very big upfront on the hours it takes, the type of commitment it takes. We, we do not make it rosy. We tell you what it really is. And I think that commitment um, is really important. What do you tell people are the requirements when you lay them out? Uh, for curation, it's uh, A, we are looking for that curiosity. Uh, on our forum for curation, it's like, what's your favorite TED talk? What makes it tick? So we can see if they have that insight, that spark ability. And the other thing is we're looking for what ideas have you seen in our city that you think need to be elevated? And how do you anticipate, you know, seeking out things that you're not aware of and, and tapping yourself into getting those ideas? So we're really after their mental process, less so than, you know, here's the 10 ideas that I have. Do they have that reflective ability and that inquisitiveness to find the pearl or to shape the, the diamond out of the rough? And we're, we're asking for that inside the interview. So when we're walking through ideas, tell me more, tell me why, tell, why is that special? How is that different? How would you, you know, validate that that was a very unique idea? And the other question we ask is, you know, why would this be important to someone in India, Japan, and England? Like, why, so what? So when they propose that idea, we see if we can destabilize them uh, with regards to their ability to like take the feedback and then dig deeper. And another part that we ask really importantly in the interview is if an idea that you really believe in doesn't have the buy-in from the team after repeated presentations, what would you do? And in there, we are really looking for will they just beyond all keep advocating an idea or will they understand that the team has a dynamic and we have to let go sometimes and, and and to support 
And that all makes perfect sense when when we dive even deeper into the process that you that you have. And by the way, I, I have to say I do agree with your friend. That sounds like a very intimidating interview. <laughs> I, I would sitting there with eight people having to fight for various uh, ideas, getting questions from all sides. Um, so certainly, but but it sounds like you bring in uh, great people. Um, okay, so now let's start talking through your speaker selection process. How do you? Uh, put together a list of prospective speakers and how do you narrow them down? Sure, so we have a Trello board. It's quite extensive on all the different verticals. So, and then we, throughout the year, we collect, collect ideas. We see them in the news. We see people talking about that. And then what happens is that uh, those that we feel are um, ripe. So some ideas we track for three years. So, I mean, we had a speaker this year that initially we heard about him three years ago but we kept an eye on it because it was a really interesting idea about a legal clinic, but we hadn't seen it tracked. So we, we keep eyes, and now it's running. It's got 12 lawyers. It's running. So now it was ready for our stage. So we have a whole whack of ideas that we've been tracking since 2013, and when they come ripe, we meet with them, and then we hunt people down. I, I like to say like we're all the Indiana Jones of ideas. We're like out there scavenging, hunting, looking into rocks. And what we do is once we find an idea that we think is really interesting is we have an initial meeting with that speaker and it's always two by two and we make sure it's not two engineers meeting an engineer. It needs to be diverse. So it could be one engineer plus, you know, one marketing person or a researcher meeting a musician or a dancer because if we want to have a generalized content that's not too niche. Uh, we need to make sure that that is diverse. So initial meeting, it's two people, and then um, meeting with the speaker, and that's just an idea dump. After that, it comes back to our, our curation meeting, which we have every two weeks. Do we think it's interesting enough? If it is, then another curator will go with the original curator and meet the speaker for a second time. And once it gets through kind of, yeah, we think it's good, we think it's great, we have those two meetings, we prepare for our selection committee. So the selection committee, we usually have two of them before a main event. Um, a first one, six to eight months before the main event. And then we present ideas in this format. So we work with a speaker, we prepare what we call abstracts. And it's 250 words of why is this idea so unique, incredible, and worth uh, speaking about. So everyone prepares those. We have about uh, sometimes you know, 15 to 30 ideas that get presented at a selection committee. That's a gate, that's a pretty big gate and everyone's kind of rowing towards that gate. Can you explain to me who is this selection committee? Who are they and, uh, and, and how do they decide? How does this whole happen? As, I, as I'm feverishly writing my 250 word abstract and I'm adding my links and I uh, wait with anticipation. So the selection committee is, is our curators, key other team members, um, such as our logistics person or other people um, who have to put these ideals on our stage, and also key experts in certain areas. So we will invite guests into the selection committee. So we'll have some professors uh, that will be there and we'll invite them to have a vote in. So we prepare the 250 abstract with the speaker, they approve it, and then it's up to the curator. He gets five minutes to present the talk. We have 10 minutes to have an open dialogue as a selection committee. At the end of the 10 minute discussion, we have a closed vote. So it's on a piece of paper, it's either a yes or a no. There's no in between. And after that, we, we pass on the next idea. 
I guess uh, in terms of numbers, I would ask two questions. Uh, how many ideas to put 10 ideas on stage? How many abstracts do you present to your selection committee? And then how do the vote system work? So it depends. That's why we have two selection committees. We will normally have about uh, anywhere from 12 to 25 ideas at a selection committee, depending on the number of uh, curators that have been able to close their abstracts. And I would say the it's very low, the percentage. <laughs> you know, I think the, the biggest session we did was, I think, 25 ideas, and I think we selected four out of that, or six. It was actually, that was really painful, actually. <laughs> um, and then after that, we have to decide, okay, well, of the ideas that we selected, in that specific case, we selected two that were kind of in education. So everything else after that in education, closed. We're not taking any more ideas in education. Oh, we're missing, you know, this or that, or we have, we have this representation, but not that, we don't have any arts, or we have no performance. Now, please, who's chasing down the arts? Who's chasing down music and performance? Because that needs to come into our program for the, the second selection committee. So that's how we oscillate between that. And the votes are usually, uh, they need to be at least 85% and up. Um, otherwise, it's, it's not an idea that the that our representation feels is going to be appealing to the general public. Yeah. So that's and so and since since I know you're very metrics focused, I'm just I just have to ask, why 85 percent and not 66 percent or 75 percent or 95 percent? Like, um, how'd you get at that number? So I so so and I just want to highlight here that you know all of what I'm discussing with you isn't just from my brainchild. I mean, this is the team. Our team is incredibly talented. Initially, we did like open hand raised votes, and then there was kind of like some group bias, group thing happening. And then someone suggested, "Hey, you know what? Let's go to a closed vote." You know, and then I was like, "Oh, hey, you know, that's a very quick fix." So there's a lot of this. What I'm discussing is evolving through the team members bringing that opinion in. Uh, initially, it was like 95%, but then like no ideas came through. <laughs> um, and then it was just like, because it's impossible to get consensus on ideas. It's just impossible, um, especially with a diverse group. And so what happens is like at one point, it's like 60, you know, 60 or 70% feels a little light. Like we want to have like hell yes ideas. It's either a hell yes or a no. So it's it's really about like we want hell yeses because that's what our audience and our community are looking for this amazing pride coming from our community and the hell yeses is, is are great and the speakers are super motivated after it because they know that so that means there was a hell yes for their idea so they're jazzed to work on it wow that's really interesting and i wanted to maybe just say one thing that i i maybe i didn't emphasize when you said it was a closed vote it, it's a confidential vote right so if i'm yeah. your best friend but i'm also on your curation team and i really hate an idea that you proposed and you, I can see that you're really upset uh, and I don't want to have to deal with the wrath of your disappointment. If I shut down your idea, you'll never know that it's me, right? I, I guess you're basically saying putting personal relationships aside, it's not about the group, it's not about relationship, it's about the ideas. So speak your mind and be really truthful, it sounds like. I agree, yeah, it, it is exactly that. It's just a yes or a no on a piece of paper. We fold them up, we pile them in, and then we, we do the count at the end of the, uh, the selection committee. And initially, to your point, like, you know, you raise your hand, and it's like, oh, well, it wasn't that. And like, why are you not raising your hand, buddy? You know, like, <laughs> like eyeballing each other. 
Um, and I, I've had a lot of my own ideas uh, hit the tarmac, um, you know, and I, I'm very like, oh, come on, please, just like one more vote and, you know, haptic floors can make it. And uh, that's a, a big joke in my team because I've been talking about haptic floors because it was like the one idea that lost by like two votes. <laughs> So my, I think it's really important for me to uphold my own rules. You know, it's very easy for me to say, yeah, it's democratic and my votes counts as yours. Uh, when I present ideas and they hit uh, the garbage bin and I uphold that, I think that that really signals to the rest of the team that we're serious, that it's, it's all about the ideas. It's not about the politics between us or that I'm the licensee and at the end of the day, I want my idea on the stage. No, we, we, we believe it's democratic. It's democratic for a reason. We built it so that it has an appeal for all the public in our sector, and then we, we stick to that. Hmm. You know, Katie, it's very clear that over time you've built a process which is incredibly uh, selective because you really think through who gets to be part of this process. But once they're in, it's very inclusive and very democratized. And consensus or something close to it becomes very important. Um, how do you balance this trade-off between the fact that sometimes really interesting things happen when one person has a really strong individual point of view and really boring things happen when everybody's got consensus on everything, right? Like um, if, if we did, if the world was everything by consensus, it will probably be a lot less colorful. But how does it come across in your team and how do you manage that natural tension? So I think that tension is good. Trust is incredibly important in our team. And I think we, we really believe that each person here adds in a tremendous amount of value. And actually, we have incredible debates. I mean, we literally disagree with each other all the time. And it's funny, like it, we, we do it in a respectful way. It's like, I, I don't agree with you because this, this, this. Well, blah, 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 and then other people bring up different points of view. And I think to see that work constructively um, is amazing because at the end of the day we walk out we all have a drink and everything's laughing and it's funny and like wow did you see how red you got in the face when you're I was like <laughs> talking about your thing you know and we're joking about it I think that's that's a humor and that humility uh, is really important because we're doing this why because we all align to elevating Montreal born ideas onto the global stage and bringing it to our community, our local and global. We are aligned on that. If we only focus on that mission, the rest of the vanity, uh, ego stuff kind of falls to the wayside. And I think we all feel we have each other's best interest at heart. And the number one thing, you know, we talk about in this team is that we, you know, as volunteers, we're not paid, but we are. We're paid in passion and we're paid in culture. And the ideas in this are our payment. And that's why our curation selection committee includes the other members of the team. Why? Because they are also motivated to join a TEDx organization because of the ideas, because they've been watching TED for years, because they see what's amazing in our city. And just because they're in logistics doesn't mean they don't have a say in the heartbeat of what our organization does. And I think that that tapping into having those healthy debates is part of the payment system that our team is motivated. So it's not cash we pay ourselves, but we pay ourselves in this ability to have these incredibly powerful conversations. And that, I think, is how we manage, I guess, those tensions because they're like productive storming, you know, and then forming. That's beautiful. I think um, you mentioned when we spoke earlier that sometimes this focus on the idea is so great to bring out the strongest idea, the hell yes ideas. But sometimes you don't look at the speaker, and you mentioned an example of 
a program that suddenly didn't look diverse. Do you want to talk about this example and maybe how it changed the way you do things? Yeah, actually, that's a, that's a really good, uh, that was a good learning. So in our curation team, we have every almost like racial diversity. This is back in 2015. And then we looked at the ideas and then at the end of the day, so we have kind of criteria on um, cultural language and also uh, gender diversity and also the topic diversity. So we're trying to balance like <laughs> a lot of things as, as most curators are always trying to balance like uh, lots of things. And we came up and, and we were really disappointed that we didn't have the cultural diversity that we would have wanted um, as much. And we laughed because as a curation team, we were behind the scenes super diverse. And we were like, how did this happen? And I think that since then we've been very much putting the cultural piece up and center. If we're not looking for ideas that are coming from different ethnicities um, actively, then we're not doing our job. And I think that that's now become a very important piece to our, our curation hypothesis. Yeah. So diversity is always a moving target, I think. Yeah, that's, and that's it's, it's, so, it's so complicated because um, identity and diversity and representations are, um, there is no formula. Right. In a room full of 500 people who come to your event, there are going to be so many different opinions and expectations. And, you know, how do you know you hit just the right tone and just the right chord? So that's when everybody complains about everything. <laughs> just kidding. No, it's true. Or the you, you, reverse. You, you, everybody. everybody. There's always somebody who, whose opinion uh, you is going to disagree with you. But that's the work we have to do. Right. This is work is in progress. We're all figuring this out. TEDx events around the world and also here at TED. It's important work and it's, uh, uh, it feels like it's still early days as, as we do it. So Katie, I can see by talking to you, your energy, your passion, you, what you put in and what you get back from this is so, so clear. And I, and I just love watching it and I just love watching you in that process. Um, you've organized since 2013. You've been the, head li the license owner since 2015. For you, TEDx Montreal, what are you thinking? Like the next three, four, five years, what are your hopes and dreams? I think my hope is that this work continues. I think we've done a really good inroad. I'm really looking for how uh, how do we continue on this work in a sustainable way. Um, I think for me, it's it's really the next chapter is okay. So. How do I have people step up in a way that it's not just on me and I'm not the linchpin here and I want this to continue on way beyond uh, me being as implicated as I am. And I think the legacy that the team is putting together right now is fantastic and seeing people step up. My hope is that we continue. One thing that we do is no one in the team works what they do in their day job in TEDx because it's where they learn new tasks. Mm. So we have a finance person doing our social media. We've got our, you know, like people who are working in different areas doing the curation and like, you know, like a sound guy doing logistics. And I think this is a place for people to grow and learn new skills. And I, I, hope, I hope that that continues to be um, the model and that we keep surfacing amazing Montreal born ideas onto the stage. Beautiful. You and your team have clearly built something that is a civic institution in your city, for your city, for your community. And you are now almost rising above yourselves, your individual selves, and thinking about how do we protect this 
thing that now maybe belongs to the city more than it belongs to us. So that's... A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I think uh, we've done a good job and I'm, I'm very, very happy to make sure that other people can continue doing this work as well in the future. Beautiful. Thank you so much for everything that you do and for sharing your wisdom and your model, which I will offer everybody who's interested are allowed to copy it, right? <laughs> yes, please. They can... We, it's, uh, it's all about R&D. It's like uh, rip and <laughs> duplicate, right? <laughs> exactly. Like <laughs> you may rip and duplicate. Thank you, Katie, so, so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and uh, continue the amazing work you guys are doing for all of us and for the ideas around the world. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Solving for X. Join us on the TEDx Hub to find additional resources on this topic. You can also share your insights or ask questions. This episode was produced with love by Bianca de Jesus, recorded by Taylor Stemley and researched by Tsvetina Deneva. This episode was edited by Sharina Ong. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to the Solving for X channel wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play, or of course on the TEDx Hub. Thank you for listening to Solving for X. See you next time.